This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 16th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I'm John Santucci, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 2007 to 2011. And what shows or programs did you work on at the station while you were there? I started with the Jazz Cafe. I did that in the afternoons because I, for some reason, decided to take all my classes early in the day and then late at night, and I had this huge window and I had no idea what to do with it. So I thought jazz music was the way to go. And outside of that, I lived and breathed everything that was the news department. Okay. Um, What titles or positions did you hold at the station? Uh, I held program director for two years, um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I was the first program director of just talk programming. So that was news, sports, public affairs, the community volunteers. um, And we got to make it something unique and different. And I'm proud to say that I'm out just over 10 years, and that's still a position that exists today. So there's a a station program director and then a separate program director for specifically talk. There's a program director that handles music. Um, So a person who, uh, you know, handles all of those platforms. And then, you know, as the station has evolved over the years and, you know, as we've expanded more community-based programming, more news programming, more interview uh, shows, uh, especially with the morning show, um, and, uh, and the sports department obviously has taken off like a rocket ship, uh, mm. with the Islanders, uh, as a broadcast partner. Um, the decision was made years ago that it just made more sense, uh, to split the two jobs because of the demand, um, that the person holding that title had, there was a lot of people to supervise a lot of content. Um, and especially in, in, in the world of sports, you know, the station, um, in, 2009 when when the islanders approached us and said do you want to be uh the broadcast partner uh, that was historic there there had never been uh, a college radio station that was the broadcast partner to a professional team um so we really between bruce avery and john mullen and ed ingles um everybody came together and just felt that it was necessary because of this new venture, because of the demands um, to divide and conquer. Okay. So I want to go back to the beginning of your experience at WRHU, and this is a two-part question. Answer it however it makes sense to you. But I'm always curious, what brought people to the radio station? And then if you could tell the audience, for those of us who weren't there, what was it like when you got there? Who did you meet? Do you remember anything in particular about the way the offices or the studios looked or sounded? So I came to the radio station because I wanted something fun to do. Um, I had come to Hofstra thinking I wanted to go into my family's business, which was lawyer, lawyer, and more lawyers. And I... um, I thought I would take it to the next level and combine uh, law and business. Um, In hindsight, could you think of it two things any more boring? Uh, I wanted to be a a corporate affairs, corporate counsel. Um, Because that'd be great. There'd be money and law and you do all those great things. And I remember walking through the radio station and 
a booming voice just sort of pulled me towards him. And it was Ed Engels. And Ed put his arm around me. We had never met before for the record, but put his arm around me and said, come on, let's go. Let me show you the radio station. Let me show you the studios. You have to see this. And I, I was just entranced, I guess, by this booming voice. It was it was almost like a spell sort of took over you. And he walked me around. He uh, told me that this was a great place to, to learn and to make friends. And he said, do you want to be a journalist? And I said, no. And he said, okay, well, it's still a, a place to meet people and, and to, and to you know, do a service to the community. So I did joined and that was the fall of 2007. So uh, while classes were happening, I decided I really didn't like them. I skipped class and worked at the radio station. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's like a common denominator. So I think I fit right in. And um, I'll never forget, I really started to hate law. And I thought, why, why am I doing this? I don't like this. This is boring. This is, I, I'm not getting anything out of this. I, I, I was, I like telling stories and I liked hearing more about the ways that people were using sound to to captivate an audience. And um, I was working on a story. Um, I'm pretty sure it was about uh, Hempstead Plains, which was this um, community right up the block from the campus. It was protected uh, and environmental uh, zoning. And um, I was working to get the sound of a bird chirping because you wanted to feel like you were out in nature. And I finally had to stop because I had to go take a final in um, uh, my contract law class. Mm. Took the final, walked out and said, I, I, I did not do good. That, that did not go well. Um, got a 38. Ooh. I will never forget that number. It's burned in my brain. And when I got the 38, I didn't even react, honestly. I just remember walking up the three floors of Dempster Hall to the dean's office, and I changed my major to journalism. And it was almost like that outer body experience where you just you just knew, you know, sure, the, the, the 38 helped because it was like, you, you, you ain't good at this. <laughs> but, right, right. but it was also it was also just that thing of like, I, I found what I, I'm good at. I found something that I really love. And um, my folks didn't talk to me for several months. They were quite disgusted, for lack of a better word. Like, mm-hmm. what, are you, what are you doing? You're throwing everything away. You want to do this radio thing. But I really dug in and I loved it. And I I started, you know, digging into more stories. I, I, I grew up in a political family, so I loved politics and um, just started understanding how uh, the local legislature worked. And Ed Ingalls um, took me to my first uh, town board meeting, which any young journalist that wants to cover these issues, that's, that's the way you learn. And, you know, you ask a question, they didn't answer. I sat back down and Ed starts punching me and says, get back up. I got back up. I asked again. They dodged me again. I got punched again. And and that went on for a couple rounds. And then finally got back into Ed's car on the way to the station. And he's like, don't take no for an answer. Keep going. So I, 
I learned how to be a journalist doing it, doing it with Ed, doing it with Bruce Avery. I mean, they both had very different styles, but but I got a master class in and how to do this, not from uh, sitting in a room, but sitting out in the field. I'm really curious to go back to the the family business, as you said, which is law. And I don't know if both your folks were, were lawyers or if it's a multi-generational thing, but uh, you, it struck me before where you said, you, you know, this sort of legal counsel for business. And yeah. I don't know a lot of 17-year-olds that are looking into that. But yeah. But to sort of bring it back to, you said you were going to the radio station for fun. Were you aware of the radio station before coming to Hofstra? Were you local yeah. on Long Island or... How did you find out about this place? Had 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 nothing, no knowledge of it whatsoever. It was, um, I think, a welcome, accepted students tour day, something like that. And and like I said, just walking around the campus, you know, they were taking us to every building, so we didn't get lost. Of course, you got lost. That was mm-hmm. a rite of passage eventually. Um, but it was going to Dempster Hall, just you know, as part of the of the walking tour. And as I said, Ed's voice captured me. And I I think that for a lot of people, people that I became friends with um, through the radio station still am today, you know, I think the radio station, even though it's, it's not a person, it's a thing, everybody that I know that has gone through there has been changed by it in some way, shape or form. Mm. It's, it's changed your attitude. It's, it's made you maybe tougher. It's made you more outspoken. It's made you uh, redirect um, into an area of your career. Um, Certainly did that for me. You know, I think the place, the reason that there's such an affinity for it, the reason that people feel such a connection to it is that it's not, it's not just a college experience. It's a life experience. If you, if you really let it into your heart if you really embrace what it can do for you and and that's something that i i'm very blessed to say that it gave me what i needed when i didn't know i needed it and it did it within 3 months of getting to know my name and and i don't think anybody really um understands that until they have a moment in life like that. And I'm, I'm fortunate to say I had it. I think that's definitely a common denominator through all the different decades of, of people that have interviewed. There's that, that moment or that feeling where, yeah, I'm skipping class. I'm going to the radio station and I'm going to spend time there because that's where my friends are and that's where my interest okay. is. So just I want to get a, a sense because uh, you and I were in, in the buildings at, at different times, different places. Yeah. What was the, the office atmosphere like? What was it like when you are going to skip class? What is what is bringing you to the office? Who's around and, and what's that like? Well, the place was dirty. <laughs> I mean, that was. I mean, I mean, you just remember. I think it's it was another like a common denominator. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was like a miracle once a year when the kind custodial staff decided to wax the floor and pull up the salt from last Christmas that was stuck to the floor. Um, that was like, wow, the, we could see the floors. That's amazing. Um, or all the, all the uh, uh, holes in the wall from. Um, uh, you know, people would, would, uh, post it 
um, you know, different awards mm. or comments or, you know, funny moments that somebody wrote down on the script. Um, so it, it looked like uh, the, the wall got into a fight with a bunch of bees, just the way it was stung all over the place. Hmm. Um, but I, I just remember no matter what, walking in, this is going to sound utterly ridiculous, but like there was a sound the door used to make even that I remember always laughing at because it was like, why didn't somebody get a can of WD-40 and fix this? Hmm. But it was just like that sound that like you knew you were coming into a place that you had been in and you felt safe. And, and no matter what, you know, the way you'd walk into the, the office anyway, is that there was an island and I grew up in an Italian household, right? So the mm -hmm. kitchen was the center of the universe and will always be the center of the universe. And if you don't like it, there's something wrong with you. So like when you'd walk in and everyone's sitting around this island and like, you know, who's brought a pizza, who brought Dunkin' Donuts, who is just like, you know, they're typing away and looks up for a second and then goes back to typing just felt like that family table that mm. that I grew up with anyway, um, that you just pull up a chair and, you know, you join the conversation no matter who it was. Um, you know, I met my wife there, um, which was uh, which was one of the great other great things that the station has brought to me. Um, and there was also always that, right? You you were you're talking to people you didn't know. Maybe you were flirting with somebody. It it it, it became that place where everything sort of revolved around like people talk about you know the college experience having a sorority or a frat i didn't have a fraternity i had rhu mm. and that was my fraternity that was my saturday night that was frankly my every night um and and that was where i sort of saw my my you know my solace it just it was always a a good experience being there um you know you would often find Bruce was running around. Um, later in life, he found a guitar and became calm, which I was not used to. But <laughs> when when I was there, you know, Bruce was was always on the phone, always on the phone. This the 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 one thing I remember in the train class was like, if you ever have a problem, call the parachute. It'll yeah. He was always on the phone, so there was no way he was answering that. But. Um, but I remember him always being there, him always being a presence, him strolling around. If somebody was, you know, not working or do, or doing something goofy, he'd just give you this weird look. If somebody was hitting on somebody, he'd, you know, give the thumbs up or the thumbs down for approval. <laughs> he he was uh, he was dad. I mean, that's that's how everybody looked at him. Is that you know this was, but he was the cool dad, right? He didn't he didn't want to be called Mister Avery. He insisted on everybody calling everybody by their first names and he was Bruce. Um, and, you know, I can say from my experiences with him, you know, being eventually on the executive board, um, I learned a lot about life from Bruce. Mm -hmm. I, I learned how to, how to chill out. I learned how to, how to rev up. Um, I learned how to avoid and try to, de-escalate things. I remember one phrase he's used with me still after how many years I've been out, uh, as I become a manager again now, uh, managerial finesse. Mm -hmm. And I used to hate that phrase. Every time he'd say it, I would just go, you son of a, and, and now I say it to myself is just like, a, okay, chill out. So it's those little things that just, I think stick with you. Um, you know, the people that I remember, 
always seeing and smiling no matter what. Um, I remember some of the community volunteers. I remember Basha um, that uh, you could be working and all of a sudden there would be a cake that would appear and she would just, you know, wave goodbye. You you try to say thank you. She's like, nope, nope, got to go on to the next thing. And she would just disappear as soon as she arrived. Um, I remember um, Tony Jackson who had this unbelievable presence about him I, I i remember the first time i met tony jackson who who hosted uh the irish programming for many many years on the station and just thinking wow this guy's a class act mm-hmm. he was always dressed to the nines he 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 took such pride in in his show and i remember when i was interning in the city Tony would always say, come visit me at the bar. Come visit me at Tiernanog. And that's where Tony ran. And uh, I would go and he'd pull up a chair at the bar. But then I was legal to drink. Don't think Tony slipped me anything. That wasn't <laughs> um, but, but it was just, it was funny how, you know, those experiences on campus, those people you met, they just, they just sort of stuck with you in life. And, and he and his wife, Maureen, are definitely that. Um, you know, I would say... Um, Fran Spencer is someone that I think of with the radio station a lot. Um, I told Fran years ago that uh, someday when we had children, that uh, I would want my son to call her Aunt Fran. And I kept my word on that um, because she was a big part of mine and my wife's life and just someone that we trusted and was there for us and, um, you know, was mom far away from home. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's just those memories, those interactions with people that I think of every time now that I go back and visit. It's, it's the people that just pull you in. I mean, you remember um, uh, late at night taking over uh, the airwaves because you saw, remember that movie years ago? What was it? Um, Pirate Radio or something like uh-huh, that? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I remember seeing it with uh, Andrea Claridis, Steve Pellegrino and Eric Palkey and, and my wife, Maria. And we were all like, let's go take over the radio station. <laughs> so two, two o'clock in the morning, we decided to go do uh, a show that they hosted, which was the 80s Overdrive. And we just started playing uh, so many great songs for hours on end until we realized, oh, my God, it's five o'clock in the morning. What the hell are we doing? Um, and that was a fun night out, right? Like being in the station, you know, l- listening to Led Zeppelin and everything in between. And that was just how we spent our Saturdays. That's great. You used a phrase there again. It, it called to mind something you said before that, that it pulled you in. And yeah. I love that image of Ed Ingalls out there in the hallway, literally like, like a fisherman pulling people in. And I don't know quite if you were on a tour or if you had meant to be there, but I just love this image of Ed saying, come on kid. And it's changing your life. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think, you know, if you know, you know, right? And I think with Ed, Ed was a force. I I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I get, you know, choked up talking about him because he's, he's been gone now if you could two years, which is just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was someone that just, that could just shut down a room. Um, when he would speak, the walls listened 
everybody listened. It didn't matter where you were. And you know, I remember Ed, when I did do the Jazz Cafe when I started, um, Ed loved this song. Oh, it's going to kill me. Um, it was Mona Lisa by Nat Cole. Yeah. Yeah. And he, um, every time that uh, he was in a crappy mood, because, you know, you get aggravated about something, you know, whatever happens in a day, I would play the song and he would come floating in and he would, he'd tell the story as if I never heard it before. But a little, I went along with it, even though it was the 25th, 100th time, about how this was the song when he proposed to his first wife and it just captured the night and and it was just sweet. And I could tell it just, you know, whatever was bugging him, it just sort of zapped that away. And, you know, I, I sort of think that that was the cool thing to see about music and the radio station. I, I'm, I was never a music person, but there were certain songs that would come on that, you would just see a reaction from people. Um, yeah, I remember one weird thing, actually, um, speaking of the Jazz Cafe. I'm going to say a mean word, but I don't mean it. There were some freaks that would call <laughs> into the station. Um, and one guy that would call in, his name, I kid you not, was Plaster Man. And he would call in deep voice, sounded like a relative of mine, to be honest. Um, but he would um, he would request certain songs or he'd say, you know, don't you know the history about that? Why don't you pick up a couple lines? Why don't you add some context? I'm like, OK, Plaster Man, that's a good idea. And I would You turn the computer, you'd Google something. Oh, this is this is this it was released on this album in 19 whatever. And then later on the show, the phone line would ring again. It'd be Plaster Man. That was very good. Thank <laughs> you, Pastor Man. Thank you very much. Gonna listen tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna listen tomorrow. Okay, great. Listen tomorrow. And like it was those weird people. They were harmless, nice people. But it was just, you know, who the heck would ever answer a phone call and engage with a guy who's just saying, "Hey, it's Plaster Man." That doesn't exactly sound like the most warm and friendly person. But um, but he was a character. Um, yeah. I'm just there's a lot of things just flowing in my head. It's it's sure it's wild to think about it, you know. Do you remember your first time getting on the air? First time getting on the air. If not the exact moment, what it felt like getting ready to go on the air or work the board the first time. Oh, well, the board and I didn't like each other. Um, I think I put in the wrong program and somebody had to run it and help me. Um, but no, I, I think the first time I remember getting ready for a mic break, actually, no, I do remember when now you jog in my brain, it was Christmas week, 2007, because they had just cleared us from the training class to, to go on and do our own shows. And, um, I was all by myself. There was nobody in the buildings. It was Christmas week and no one's on a college campus. And it was it was scary. It, it was intimidating. You know, you didn't know who was listening. Um, my entire family was. So there you go. That was about 16 people right there. Yay for ratings. Um, but I just remember, I just remember feeling like a, a knot. Um, and I think as I'm talking, the child, now I'm remembering, yeah, the, um, the chair, you know, you, you'd, you'd pull it, pump it up to make it go higher. I think it started to slowly sink mm. as I spoke. So it was just sort of, uh, and now we're going to wrap up our WRAT radio, Hofstra University, boop, and just 
getting off quick before I, my ass was on the floor. Um, but no, there were, there was a, um, it was a great feeling. You, you felt like you were on top of the world every time you talked into that microphone and, and whatever else was going on, just sort of, you know, tuned out. You, you, you focused on the show, the news, the, the conversation. If you were doing the morning show, it just always felt like you were turning on that mic and almost entering a different world, which, which is probably one of the cooler experiences anybody could say they've ever had. You, you talk about going through the uh, training classes and uh, the, the training classes in the Bruce Avery era are, are, are stuff of legend. But do you remember anything in particular, a word of advice or a technique or something that you picked up in one of those classes that stuck with you and was, was always useful or just, just something good to keep in mind? Well, considering my current job, Bruce's advice of uh, he likes to sleep at night. I still don't sleep at night, so I, I don't know what the hell he was talking about. Um, advice from the training class. Um, I think it was always just like the prep. Yeah. You know, don't come in and ever half-ass something. You're, you're either ready to go or you're not. Um, that always stuck with me. Um, you know, there was one guy... Um, who, uh, who I was friends with at the time, um, he would come in religiously an hour and a half before he hosted the morning show. And he talked about that in the training class. And, and I just replicated that because I was like, all right, well, that makes sense. You know, you wake up, you somewhere, somehow find coffee, usually Dunkin' Donuts on Hempstead Turnpike, mm -hmm. which was never good. Um, and then you just sort of, you know, took your time, you read in, you scripted things. Um, the other piece of advice somebody always gave me is, um, actually I think it was Bruce, um, was to always have the weather report printed out in front of you because if everything else, um, I think we can curse on this. If everything else went to shit, um, you mm -hmm. could always talk about the weather very quickly and fill the air. And Bruce is a meteorologist. It all sort of made sense. And like, you know, go, go three days out, four days out, five days out, if you really needed to just something that if something wasn't playing or a guest hadn't dialed in just something to fill the air, because everybody would always care about the weather, no matter what. It's always a good piece of advice. You, you've mentioned Bruce, you mentioned Ed Ingalls and Fran Spencer and Tony Jackson uh, yeah. and Bosch and folks like that. Who are some of the students or other people who are around who are helpful in your early days that help you get acclimated? Lauren Brookmeyer and Kim Saltmarsh um, and Alex Dolan were probably um, my three guiding lights. They were all older than me. Um Alex was um, a producer, tried and true, and someone that um, I I learned so much from. Um, and he always did everything so calmly. Um, Kim uh, was always wanted to be on air, was always going to be the star, and she always came in to anchor, even though it was for radio with a blazer, which. Uh, which I never really understood because nobody could see what the hell we were wearing, mm -hmm. but she, but she always looked the part and, and Lauren, who is still one of my best friends to this day. Um, Lauren always made everything look easy and, and she'd run in like a psycho, 
um, every time, often disheveled. Um, but she'd be ready to go, knock it out of the park, and then it was just on to the next. And and she just had a very, um, say, whimsical disposition about her. She was always just like carefree about things. Um, uh, I mentioned Andrea Claridis and Steve Pellegrino earlier, um, and Eric Palkey. Um, you know, they they were folks. Andrew was another person that loved news, and uh, and we we competed with each other a lot. Um, but like Steve and Eric, um, I think of them and, and how techie they were, they were, the ways that they were able to, you know, do things, getting us on remotes and whatnot. I, I could never do that, nor would I ever try. Um, person that I always think of, and I, I've seen him often during work, if I've ever been in his neck of the woods is, uh, is Mike Leslie who was the sports director um, now uh, on air at WFAA down in uh, Texas. And this is a guy that I swear to God, even at 18, he looked like he was cut out of ESPN. He just mm. looked the part. And it was kind of annoying because it was like, you know, why, why does he look like, you know, the, the, the quarterback? And I look like I look. But anyway, but he was so good um, and, and so passionate. I think the reason him and I often butted heads was because – I would fight like hell to do things about news and he would fight like hell to do things about sports. And he tolerated news and I didn't give a shit about sports. Um, although the, the one of the other memories I have being program director was the day that Hofstra got rid of their uh, sports team, got rid of the football team mm. and like having to play like therapist to everybody that was like, I came here to play football. I came here to call football. And it's like, Oh Jesus Christ, what the hell are they going to do now? And just the meltdown that, that was, that was the students. I mean, it was, that was a crappy day. Um, it was a crappy week to be honest, but uh, that day in particular, it was just like, who wasn't crying? I mean, everybody, I mean, and I'm, I'm not knocking them. I mean, that was their passion and that's why they came there, but it was, it was sad. I mean, you remember, you really saw people that wanted this to be their career and felt like it was over. And that and that's where for the 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 folks in radio, the folks in journalism, that's where the Islanders partnership was a godsend. Hmm. I mean, it, it was just it was a it was a savior. I mean, because without without the football team, it was like, all right, we have baseball, we have lacrosse. That's about it. What else? To, what the hell else are we gonna do? And and that just came along and it just changed everything for so many people. Going back to your, uh, your early days and, and getting used to being at the station and what it seems like you, you got pretty comfortable being at the station pretty soon. Um, and it sounds like you were able to jump in and, and get on air. Is that, is that true? Or was there a yeah. moment or a time where you're like, okay, this is, this is where I belong. Well, definitely. When I first got there, I started to fit in. I mean, the thing is, I, I I stood out when I first got there, right? Because I was the kid that wasn't going to be a journalist and didn't want to do this. And like, I remember people who are still friends of mine today, uh, Brittany Forgione, uh, uh, Shannon Bennett, being like, "What the hell are you doing here? If you don't you don't want to do this?" I'm like, "Oh, it's fun." They're like, "All right," because these were people that this this was their goal, right? This was their career. This is what they wanted to go into. So. It, I think in some ways too, whether we choose to admit it or not, 
the station had a lot of competition about it too, right? Who was going to be the best? Who was going to anchor this, call that game, get the best, this slot, whatever it was. It just, that's life. Life is about competition if you choose to jump into it that way. And I wasn't really a threat to people because I was doing it just for fun. And you know, I think the seniors took to me then. I, I I felt I was always friends more with the upperclassmen because of that, that I was just unique maybe. Um, and then when I started to fall in love with it, I think a lot of the people in the upper class in particular, like I mentioned Alex and others, I think they saw that transformation in real time for me and and appreciated maybe. I'm 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 playing therapist now for myself, which is weird, but maybe appreciated that they saw me transform and fall in love with it and thus truly wanted to help me. I mean, I I I really felt that that senior class in particular, they were just there wasn't a bad one in the bunch. I mean, they were just they were just really good to this this freshman kid that didn't know what the hell he wanted to do. And and maybe I never said it to them in real time, but but I owe them a lot because they, you know, they took me in as one of their own right away, and 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 not only made me a friend, but but made me a, a mentee, taught me things, and you know, certainly Bruce and John and Ed and others as, as the adults, quote unquote, you learn a lot from. But I don't think people really understand again unless you're in it how much the station is a place that you learn from your other peers. And, and there is a lot of that passing knowledge down to the next generation that, that happens. And, and that was something that I, I've never had an experience like that before. And, and certainly not to the magnitude since. We're having this conversation, obviously, with the with the benefit of hindsight, and you can look at specific moments, uh, the conversation with Ed Ingalls, meeting your future wife, making these friends, deciding you're going to change your career outlook, and then going off into a career in broadcasting. We have the idea of hindsight, and you can look back. What I'm going to yeah. ask you to do now is try to go back into your shoes as an 18-year-old and walking in there or getting acclimated or, or figuring out what this place was. And, and as an 18 year old, what did you think Hofstra radio would mean to you in those early days? I thought it would mean, um, I thought it would mean a place to make friends. I, I didn't expect that it would it would change my entire thinking of what my life was going to be, um, which in hindsight is is crazy. But but in real time, I, you know, I came from um, a high school that I really hated <laughs> um, with people that um, I felt were really stuck up. I had um, uh, a few folks that I really trusted and I believed in. Um, and, and outside of that, I really didn't have this like big group, if you will. Mm -hmm. And when I came to the radio station, I, I, when people told me as you took the tour, Ed, other people, oh, it's a great place to meet people, blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, maybe this is what this is for, for me, right? It's a place to, to make friendships, to, you know, have some fun and then, you know, go off and 
do the lawyer thing for school. And, and like I said, it, it, it's amazing how quickly, you know, being accepted, learning from people, you know, not only gave me those relationships and that benefit, but then changed what I was supposed to do with the rest of my life. John, this has been uh, so much fun to hear your stories and your recollections, and I really appreciate your time and your stories. I'm going to come up with a bunch of more questions, and I'm sure you have more stories, and we can do this again sometime. All right. That'd be great. Thanks so much, Brian.